0: Coming up on Studios America, Outkicks Bobby Barack is here to join us and talk about the Cleveland Indians. I'm sorry, I almost offended you. The Cleveland Guardians. Ugh. Faithwire Dan Andros uh, is here to discuss the terrifying trend of arson breaking out in churches all across Canada. And what does that mean for us here in the U.S.? And as far as COVID 19 goes, Australia has kept cases and hospitalizations and deaths really low, yet, Their restrictions are really high still to this day. What gives, Aussies? Let's find out and do lockdown down under.
1: Stew does America.
0: Welcome to Chartapalooza Fridays, everybody. I hope you're excited. Lots of graphs, lots of charts, lots of numbers for you. Conservanerds, unite. What's going on? in Australia right now. Let me give you a, uh, just a little pic, a picture of their situation when it comes to COVID. These are cases, and as you see, I mean, it looks kinda like a lot of other countries, right? You have that first spike in April of 2020. They had a pretty big spike in August uh, of 2020 as well. They kept things under control mostly, and now they're seeing a, a resurgence of COVID. Uh, And I guess no wonder they're going back into lockdown. Right. We've got a third wave we're dealing with. And that's very, very scary. Uh, Kind of. I mean, it looks pretty scary until you compare it to, let's say, the United Kingdom. This is the UK chart and Australia on the same uh, (laughs) graph. And what you see here for those listening on podcast and we do love you, even when we're showing multiple charts, you see massive spikes that are at, let's see, I don't know, 40 times the peak of Australia. I mean, those little Australian waves at the bottom, they're little ripples. They're adorable little ripples in a lake. They're not big surfing waves. They're little tiny ripples. The worst of Australia is better than the best the UK has had uh, in this entire fight. It's really bizarre, and yet they're going into lockdown. I mean, looking at this in context, it's hard to believe. Parts of Australia are going back into lockdown yet again. This has happened over and over and over and over again. Now, this has caused this video of the news to go viral. Watch. Good evening. Within hours, Sydney will be in the grip of much tougher restrictions. The premier clamping down on the stubborn Delta outbreak with what she's calling a no regrets policy. Mm. And this is why. From a record 82,000 tests, the state today recorded 111 cases and tragically the third COVID death in this outbreak, a man aged in his 80s from the city's southeast. Hmm. Across Greater Sydney, retail shops will now close. A small list of essential stores can remain open. Construction sites across the city shut down. And from midnight tonight, 110 suburbs across Liverpool, Fairfield and Canterbury Bankstown will be sealed shut. That's 900,000 residents who can't leave their area, even for work. Holy crap. All of that over 111 cases in the U.S. We do that in one Jersey Shore pool party. Okay, that's what we do here. This is America. What's kind of shocking of watching a clip like that. I mean, first of all, did you even know that was going on? What's shocking, though, is that Australia is, you know, this isn't North Korea we're talking about. Australia has somewhat similar sensibilities as the U.S., as America, as the West. So what exactly are they doing? Now, there's different ways to deal with COVID, theoretically, if your constitution allows it. And Notably, not every constitution does, but, you know, for example, in Brazil, they kind of just let it fly. And that has not worked out all that well uh, for the country of Brazil, sadly. Uh, Asian democracies, they were able, they were very familiar with SARS breaking out earlier. They were very on the uh, alert for an outbreak of an epidemic slash pandemic and they tried to catch it early they had lots of early restrictions before it was really even a problem they did tons and tons of invasive tracing and monitoring of their citizens um, fewer lockdowns though and they were able to basically keep it under control at least for a while china of course was like welded people into apartments <laughs> god only knows what's going on in china But there are two main things you can do. Basically, you can try to lock down hard. We've had periods of that here in the U.S. Try to get COVID to zero. So it's not a problem at all. Or you can try to come up with a cure. The best approach, of course, is to do your best to minimize deaths uh, and outbreaks as we go. But that's while balancing uh, the strength of the economy. You can't just shut down the economy. You you do your best as an individual to not uh, spread a virus like this. But importantly, you need to still protect the freedom of the people, the freedom of their choice to assess their own risk. The huge problem with lockdown zero as an approach is it's not a long term approach. It might work for a while, but it's like a panic room. Think about this. If you're at your house, you're at your house, middle of the night, your alarm goes off. Or somebody, you hear breaking glass, you gather your family, you run to your panic room, if you're Jodie Foster, and you lock yourself in the panic room and you realize uh, that maybe you're safe. And that is a reasonable approach for that particular situation. Think, I don't know, March and April 2020. Now look, there are still issues with this that we've discussed a million times. I don't want to get into the minutiae of it, but at this time, we don't even have tests. Like we don't even know who has COVID, right? We don't know what it does. We don't have tests to detect it. It was, you know, very early on in the pandemic. And if you're going to to be okay with some of these restrictions, it's that time period, right? It's a it's like a panic room. You run into a panic room, but a panic room is not a long-term strategy. You don't move into the panic room. You don't stay there forever. It's not a long you don't stay there for months and months and years and years it's a quick thing to to escape immediate harm and then as soon as you're free you get back out right well that is kind of like what Australia has done now there's plenty to fault in the way that the US and the UK have handled all of this but at least in the US and in the UK there's an idea of an end game some way this whole thing ends Let me give you a look at uh, what is going on in the UK right now. And you've probably heard some scary things about it, but I want to maybe ease your mind a little bit here. Here are the last three waves of the COVID pandemic in the UK. And you probably have heard a lot about this. You saw a peak uh, in November of 2020. You saw a much higher peak even in January of 2021. And then they've seen a resurgence recently In uh, July and August of 2021, uh, into August, obviously. The important thing to note here is that this UK surge, this UK third wave that we're talking about, is completely and totally different than the previous waves. We've talked about over the, you know, conservatives have spent a lot of time saying, oh, well, this is a case demic, not a pandemic. There's a lot of cases, but in the end of it, people aren't dying. And unfortunately, Every time that was brought up previous to this time, that wasn't true. It didn't wind up playing out. We saw a huge rise in, in deaths after the rise in cases, and that's happened every single time, really no matter where you look across the world. But the U.K. is an easy example. They saw this as well in the first wave, in the second wave, but then the third wave is different. Let me show you two. This is deaths now. It looks nothing like the, uh, the outlook for cases. The first wave was pretty big. The second wave was double, just like with cases. Looks up basically exactly the same between cases and deaths for the first two waves. But look at that third wave. There's, it, deaths have not budged at all. You almost can't even see the little tiny rise that has occurred in that third wave. And it's really, 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 really small. That is incredibly positive. In fact, when you look at the age breakdowns of the cases in the UK, you see something that makes uh, the answer pretty obvious here. What you're seeing is uh, if you look at the older age groups, those groups are about 95% vaccinated. And what they have seen is almost no increase whatsoever in cases. This is cases, by the way. This isn't even deaths. No increase at all, basically through any of those groups. As you get younger and younger, what you also have are less and less people who are vaccinated. In fact, the least vaccinated group in the UK uh, outside of children, and I want to I mention that because it's important, but is between 18 and 24. They are about 50 or 60 percent are vaccinated, and that's where all the rise is coming. The younger you are, from 18 on up, the uh the more cases that you have and that fits every single age group except for one and i want to make sure that this is this point is made here under 18 you see a lower rise than you do uh, not as much as the 95 vaccinated groups but those people aren't vaccinated at all and i think this really supports the idea that kids do actually pass this less often less frequently than, uh, than adults do. And that's a really positive thing if you, if you want to keep your schools open. The bottom line here, though, is the difference between this third wave in the UK with vaccines and the f- uh, first wave is deaths have dropped by a corresponding day, the same day in the wave, deaths have dropped by 93% in this third wave. As compared to that second wave we looked at, deaths in the third wave have dropped COVID was really, really predictable all the way up until these vaccines hit. And now it's predictable again, but in a good way. Yes. Some people will have breakthrough cases. Some people will get sick. Some people in their eighties and nineties, especially will even die. But the amount of people is much, much less. Now people who are younger are the ones getting it. And, and that's because they're the ones without the vaccines. This, I know this sounds like, uh, you know, you know, Gen Psaki could tell you this, and it's not like that at all. No one should be mandated to take a vaccine. No one should be forced to get it. That's not what this is about. It's not about harassing you. It's about trying to give you the best information possible, and you make your own decision. If you look at this and you say, you know what, eh, that's not enough for me. I mean, I'm worried about long-term effects or whatever that is. Totally up to you. Uh, you know, but I mean, we should still look at this stuff and make sure that what is happening in Australia does not happen here because what Australia has done is they've just locked down with basically no cases. And here's the thing. If you want to lock down, you have to have an end game to that. What is your exit from the panic room? What Australia has done has is locked down and because they are an island continent have largely been able to keep cases super, super low, but they have not aggressively pursued vaccination which kind of leaves you in this open-ended situation. Look at this, this is the vaccination rates between the UK and Australia. UK is at, you know, what, 50, I can't read, it. 54% or so fully vaccinated. Uh, Australia's at 12. They have not really pursued this strategy. So sure, you can lock everyone in a bubble and maybe avoid an outbreak for a while, maybe for a very long time at the expense of your citizens. Particularly when you're in your own island continent, it makes this a little bit easier. But because they haven't had a big outbreak, there's no urgency with the vaccine among the citizens. This happened in India as well, two horrible, horrible results. They thought they missed out on COVID. Maybe they were doing something that maybe the, they actually believed maybe the Indian people, the genetics made them resistant to it. Well, what happened, of course, was eventually it did hit them. That's where the Delta variant is from. And they think 3.5 to 4.9 million extra people have died there since COVID began. Almost 5 million people. That is incredible. And I go back and I've said this before and I'll say it again. I think we have talked a lot here in the United States and the, and the global attention has been how bad Donald Trump is. He's a bad guy. Look at all the terrible things he's done throughout COVID. He doesn't even care. He doesn't even take it seriously. And we've gone back and forth with whether you're supposed to wear masks or whether you're not supposed to wear masks or whether the government should force you to get vaccines or not. And back and forth and back and forth. And I think when the dust settles, what we're really going to, to realize after this is that, yes, it was bad in the United States. Yes, it was bad in the UK and in, 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 in Europe. But the devastation that has been brought by COVID to the developing world in a way that has been almost completely unnoticed is going to be the legacy of this pandemic. Millions and millions more people died in those countries that have not been reported, that nobody noticed and nobody seemed to care at the time. The media here barely brought it up. Because they wanted to go after Donald Trump all that time. But we're going to go back at the end of this and say, holy crap, look what happened in places like India, like Indonesia, like China, who is not reporting anything accurately either. So Australia has all these constant rotating lockdowns with no endgame. The population is just left vulnerable. If you open up eventually with no vaccines, you're eventually going to get the same types of outbreaks everybody else already had. Then you've crushed your economy and your population for multiple years. And for what? The good news here is that Britain has had this large outbreak and they are correctly going ahead with the reopening and drop of restrictions anyway. That would not have happened before the vaccines. The UK, as well as the US, is seeing a very, very welcome transition, though it will never go fast enough for us. A transition from COVID as a pandemic to COVID as a nuisance to COVID as an afterthought.
1: Does
0: the Olympics, don't they start like today? Did the Olympics start today? I mean, I've never been a huge Olympics guy. I am a huge built bar guy, big fan of this company. Why? Because they're just great. They they, by the way, sponsor the USA track and field team, which is a you know pretty big honor, obviously. But really, if the product sucked, I still wouldn't tell you about it. Uh, fortunately, though, they have nine delicious flavors, uh, plus the occasional limited-time flavor that's coming out. They've got coconut, coconut almond, cherry, raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel. Glenn Beck told me the other day they're coming out with a Rocky Road flavor. I don't think that's available yet, but you've got to watch for it. Uh, this is basically a candy bar, okay? That's what it tastes like. It tastes like a candy bar. They go for taste first here, and yes, as a side benefit, It also happens to be good for you. 130 calories, 17 grams of fat, four grams of sugar, four grams of uh, net carbs. You can't beat that. So uh, check it out. Built.com is the place to go. B-U-I-L-T. Built.com. Use the promo code Stu15. Stu15 is the promo code for 15% off your first order. Use the promo code Stu15 for 15% off right now at Built.com. Happy to welcome back to the program, Bobby Burak. He's a columnist for OutKick. Uh, Bobby, how's it going?
2: Stu you know I was told about two years ago that I'm kind of a one-person meeting guy after I get invited somewhere I never get invited back this is my second time coming on so I'm thinking um Either I've changed or I was lied to my whole life. Mm, it's, sure
0: it's, well, we'll let you know if there's a third uh, thing here, because two might <laughs> yeah. be the maximum. No, it's great well, to well, have third, you. Back
2: well, third, third's out of the discussion. <laughs> I'm <not> talking <laughs> about it. I'm just happy to be here a second time.
0: <laughs> you have a great column out, and uh, that's raising your back. It's called uh, Maria Taylor's Saga is Emblematic of the Leftist Vision of America. And if you don't remember this story, Maria Taylor is, uh, is a personality at ESPN. And you kind of described this towards the beginning of the piece here. A lot of people don't know who she is because she's frankly just not that remarkable.
2: Yes, dude. I actually got this topic idea, this column idea, when I was watching the finals. I believe it was uh, game six, the closeout. And I was sitting with my mom. Uh, and, she, and, she's, and I was telling her a little bit about this. She's like, wait a minute. That studio host, who I don't even know, turned down $5 million a year, leaked her colleague's footage, lost $8 million a year, and is still leaving the network that she just painted as racist for not being racist at all? So I I just thought that, thinking, I go, I need to put this story in context for people that don't know who Maria Taylor is, which is most of the country. And as I started writing, I got thinking, wait a minute, this is exactly what the left's vision of America looks like. Think about it. Their best way of controlling executives is by installing fear through their employees. In the left's culture, in the left's corporate America, executives don't install fear in their employees they worry about their employees labeling them misogynistic racist white supremacist and that's what really this whole thing is about is that maria taylor used the left's vision and preview what will happen if other corporations operate the same way which is i think the best way to put it is these executives are now so afraid of their black employees because of, you know, uh, the BLM movement, Twitter and New York times that they are now answering to social media before the boards to which they report. I mean, that's a dangerous thing. And it's not just at ESPN and Disney. It's at AT AT&T, Comcast, Private equity is all over. Stu, Maria Taylor was just the most public case of all this.
0: Yeah, it really, it's it's amazing how widespread it is. And I remember, you know, I go back with Glenn Beck doing the show for a really long time now. I mean, back before really social media was even a big thing. And I remember when these first like email campaigns would start and they would try to pressure to get advertisers to drop our show and all of these things. And I remember thinking to myself, at some point, These companies are going to wake up and figure out the fact that there's 12 people out there, you know, click and retweet or click and send on emails. And they're going to realize that their customers are not the ones who are actually complaining about this. But that never happened. They never woke up to that. In fact, it's much, much worse now.
2: Well, I think what's really going on here, Stu, and this is why this Maria Taylor um, whole situation is so emblematic of the left, is because the left, as much as people don't want to admit it, they oftentimes get out. To a big lead, like they're leading the culture war because of social media and cancel culture, big tech suppression, their influence on major corporations across the country. But the problem is, is that it's never enough and they end up exposing themselves before they're able to capitalize. Like, Look at cancel culture. It started out as a way to, okay, this person's racist, they're bad for the brand, let's get them off TV. That's no longer what it is. Now it's basically just any loser with a smartphone that has their own racist past can pull up old tweets and get somebody else fired. And you look at big tech suppression. At first, it was okay, you know, let's get some of these conspiracy theorists or censorship rather. Let's get some of these conspiracy theorists off our platform. Now they kick the sitting president at the time off the platform and they suppressed a story of Hunter Biden's email, for which I believe interfered with the election. I think had that story been more widespread, people would have voted differently to some degree. And just like Maria Taylor, she got everything she wanted and more. She used racism, threats from the New York Times to get a $5 million a year offer. They gave her the number one program on ESPN, their finals front and center on ABC. But it wasn't enough. Her demands got so absurd, so ridiculous, so unreasonable, her petrified bosses even had to say, okay, you know, we've had enough. The left is going to lose this culture war because they can't accept a win. They keep going further and further until they end up losing.
0: Yeah, they do overplay their hand quite a bit. Always. So where where does Maria Taylor go now? She she has a new gig, right? She's no longer at ESPN. Where does she go?
2: Yeah, so – ESPN has announced, and Maria Taylor has announced, that she is leaving ESPN. Um, nothing has been made official. Sources tell me, we reported this at kick that she is more than likely going to NBC. NBC has an offer out to Taylor, which is said to be not as much as what ESPN was offering her, but, but she may have some flexibility to work other places. So the deal they're offering her is to work the Olympics in Sunday Night Football, which is NBC's primary football package with the eventual opportunity to replace Mike Tirico as the main studio host. So for all Maria Taylor did, NBC didn't get the message. They're going to bring that into their locker room now. And my message to the NBC executives, good luck, because in three, four years, when Maria Taylor's contract's up with you guys, she's going to play the same card. Mm -hmm. She burned down ESPN as she walked out that building. NBC thinks, well, she won't do that to us. You're wrong. MSNBC said the same thing about Keith Olbermann when they signed him away from ESPN. And Olbermann did the same thing to NBC. Same thing. I'm so glad you brought up that example because there is a certain type of
0: person and it's got nothing to do with skin color because Olbermann is a perfect example of this. Someone who does the things that Maria Taylor does, that Keith Olbermann has done at every freaking job he's ever had in his entire life. It's it's a poison to bring into your company. And the only time to stop it is before the
2: hire. Once they are hired, you are screwed. ESPN, in a lot of ways, they won this whole thing. Because if you look at it, yeah, the precedent was set and there's going to be more Maria Taylors. But do you know how hard it would have been for ESPN's president, Jimmy Bataro, to look his employees in the eyes and say, yeah... I brought back someone, paid her three times what I was paying her, who tried to label me and all of my assistants and all of their fellow executives racist, people. someone that you know tried to damage other colleagues. ESPN can at least wake up today and say, okay, we've got that problem away from us. NBC, she hasn't even walked in the building. <laughs> and make no mistake about it. you know, I love the Olbermann comparison because every time someone signed Olbermann, and he, he worked all over the place, he worked for ESPN three times, everybody said... Well, he's changed now. Yeah, he was a bad guy then, but now he's better. Each time Oberman got worse, this guy is so crazy now, he can't even properly take a YouTube video on his balcony. And, <laughs> I, I mean, he, he set the blueprint of what executives should do when they see someone like him. You see Oberman, you run. Maria Taylor, she might not be as wild and deranged as Oberman, but really nobody is. But she's inching towards that level, Stu. I mean, I mean, I would want nothing to do with her. If I saw her in the streets walking down Manhattan, I'd walk the other way. I don't even want to walk by her because who knows what she'll say to someone else. I mean, this is somebody who has tried to jeopardize her colleague's career because why? Because she thought that would help her get – $8 million a year, $7 million a year more than she was worth. I mean, I just find this entire situation disgusting and so emblematic of what the left has tried to do to corporate America.
0: Yeah, you write in the column a sentence that, I and I, I don't mean this negatively, I mean it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever, however, is totally right. You write, to stay in power, they had to prove that they were not racist, which meant treating employees of certain racial groups better than others. That's- <laughs>
2: Uh, it's the definition of racism right so this is this is the whole idea here with this entire equity movement president joe Biden's favorite term is that you know being whatever the term is now anti-racist what they want you to essentially do is don't be not racist prove to us you are not racist by treating white people who they deem as privilege worse than other groups think about how mm. bizarre that is and just hard to comprehend so this is really what happened with this entire maria taylor story her bosses whom are mostly white saw the writing on the wall in order for them to prove to disney the new york times maria taylor her team that they're not racist they had to be racist and elevate her above Rachel Nichols, who had the job in her contract. By doing this, they had to offer Maria Taylor a $4 million a year raise while asking sports center legends like Kenny Mayne to take a 65% cut. So everything's backward. The, my favorite, the most frustrating term in all this, and ESPN uses it all the time, they say inclusion. Well, what they're doing is not inclusion. What they're applying is exclusion. They're pretty much saying we're going to include this group and not those groups. That's not inclusion. You're excluding other groups. It's all backwards and it's all based upon a lie. Every word that's used here means the opposite of what they tell us.
0: It really is fascinating. All right. Before we go, a couple a couple other quick things. Uh, The Cleveland Indians are changing their name to, what is it, the Cleveland Guardians? And they got Tom Hanks to voice some spectacular announcement video. What are we supposed to make of this? It's just another example of the wokeism in action.
2: But it's another example of what we talked about going too far. Every time this movement, this woke movement wins, they take it a step further. Look, the Redskins' name I was willing to listen. Okay. Okay, you know, maybe because of it was used at times as a slur, maybe they didn't the, the football team didn't need to keep that name. Although studies say that most of the people offended by it were white people, white liberals <laughs> right. kind of bizarre. <laughs> yeah. But like okay, Redskins fine. Whatever. You won that battle, the name was changed. Indians is not an offensive term. I see like ESPN people like Bomani Jones saying, well, what if they were called the Cleveland Caucasians? Um, not the same thing. Indians is much more akin to like the Cowboys and they would be white people. I, mean, I don't think anybody's going to name their team the Dallas White People, but the Indians was not an offensive term. Nobody had a problem with it until the Redskins got their name changed and inevitably somebody said, okay, you got that name changed. What's next? And the Indians was the easiest, lowest hanging fruit to change. Nobody stew was offended by the Cleveland Indians. Nobody's offended now. All of it is, again, just a battle won with a natural next step to take it even further and more ridiculous.
0: Yeah, and you're never woke enough. There's what Now that no. the Indians have changed their name, there will be another group that is the target of this. One thing I do find fascinating about this, I want to get your – this is a theory, personal theory of mine. No real evidence per se mm-hmm. other than anecdotal. But like – My theory is Daniel Snyder did not want to change the Washington Redskins name. He said a million times he was not going to change it. Eventually gets pressured into it. He changes the name to the Washington football team, which is just not a name. It's nothing. So I I am an NFC East guy. I'm an Eagles fan. My dad was a Giants fan. Everybody here in Dallas are Cowboys fans. One of my good friends is a Redskins fan. Everyone who talks about this team still calls them the Redskins. And until they change it to the Guardians or the Warriors or whatever the next thing is, they're always going to call them the Redskins, at least for probably a couple of decades. I feel like Snyder did this on purpose. This is my theory. Snyder intentionally is not renaming the team to another name because he knows,
2: colloquially, people are still just using the term Redskins. Yeah, I like that because I feel like every time somebody says the football team is kind of a shot at those people. Like, hey, you know, you want me to t- get rid of my name? I'm not going to rename it. I'm going I'm to keep on letting people call it the Redskins. But Stu, I actually see it a little differently. I actually think Daniel Snyder's a genius because what name is not offensive now? I'm <laughs> shocked the Cleveland Indians came up with uh, Guardians now because, quite frankly. If you told me that somebody was offended by the term guardian, I'd believe it. I mean, it just takes some loser with a keyboard to say, hey, that name offends me, and all of a sudden that's an offensive term. I mean, I I thought the Cleveland Indians might say, hey, we're the Cleveland baseball team for now. We can't find a name that's suitable. I mean, I think that's the Redskins' problem right now is that, you know, I've heard red tails. Well, maybe that's offensive is the term. I don't know. I'm sure somebody has an issue with that. I mean, unless they call themselves – the, the Washington Sharptons, because apparently Al Sharpton is the one guy who is for everybody. I mean, yeah. this, this disgusting race baiter who's made a fortune off other people's sufferings. I mean, maybe that's the term for it. But yeah, I think Daniel Sanders is going to have a hard time finding a name that people accept because the Washington Post, New York Times, they're all over this guy. As soon yeah. as this guy names a name, I mean, you know, you know, some of these people are going to have a headline saying, "Wow." He got rid of the Redskins and now he's going with that name. But he know that in 1733, this yeah, happened. Exactly. I mean, it never ends. Honestly, I think it's funny at this point. I'm done being frustrated. I just laugh at this point because the fact that we let these nobodies dictate what billionaires do – is so concerning. Yeah, How it's, cowardly it's, are they? It's
0: laughing as the world crumbles, but it is funny, I will say. Uh, Bobby Barack. Uh, he's a columnist for OutKick. His column is called Maria Taylor Saga is Emblematic of the Leftist Vision of America. Don't miss it. We'll make sure we get it out on uh, Twitter. Bobby, thanks so much for coming
2: on the program. Hey, Stu, appreciate it, man. We
0: started the show talking about vaccines in Australia, kind of the way they're doing the whole COVID thing is questionable Uh, to the UK to where they seemingly hopefully hit a good spot in this. I want to go through a, couple, a, little, a little bit more on this, though. Uh, let me give you a couple wrong approaches <laughs> to the vaccine. Sean Penn, uh, best known as Spicoli from Fast Times at Richmond High, as well as beating the crap out of multiple women. It's the other thing he's known really uh, a lot for. Survive the Me Too era, though, and is in a series um, for, uh, I think it's what was it, uh, Gaslit, it's called. It's a series about water, uh, Watergate. He is refusing to go back to the set unless all cast and crew get mandatory COVID vaccinations. Is that a good idea? I'd argue no. The NFL, I think, its approach is pretty heavy handed as well. Now, I understand billions of dollars are on the line and they don't want to be canceling games. They've made a big stink about how they are not going to allow. Um, players uh, to uh, they're allowing them to say they're unvaccinated and not get the vaccine. But what they are not doing is um, if there's an if there's an outbreak or something, they are going to not allow them to make the game up after a certain period of time. And if a game gets canceled, they're going to get the loss. So they're going to really go hard punishing these players. The players on both teams don't get money. I find it hard to believe this policy is actually going to hold up in this form. But Again, the wrong approach. That's not going to convince anyone uh, to to do it, at least not happily. Let me give you another version of talking to people about vaccines. This one's from Ron DeSantis. You may know him as the 2024 uh, leader in the Republican primary. If Donald Trump does not run governor of Florida, here he is talking about vaccines. Tell me if you like this
1: approach a little bit better. Um, So here's, I think, the, the most important thing with the data. If you are vaccinated, fully vaccinated, The chance of you getting seriously ill or dying from COVID is effectively zero. If you look at the people that are being admitted to hospitals, uh, over 95% of them are either not fully vaccinated or not vaccinated at all. And so these vaccines are saving lives. They are reducing mortality. Mortality in nursing homes, since we rolled out the vaccines in December, is down over 95% due to COVID mortality for elderly people since we rolled out the vaccines is down nearly 90 percent and so we're proud in florida that we put seniors first on that because they were the most vulnerable we have 85 percent of our seniors that are vaccinated and about 75 percent of folks over the age of 50. we have no mandate we've provided information to people um, and and we've uh, been very honest about any data that that comes out and i can tell you that if you look uh, you are seeing people that are vaccinated. For whatever reason, some I think can test positive if you're vaccinated, but they don't get seriously ill in, except maybe rare instances. There's always one offs on stuff. But I can tell you in Florida, your chance of surviving if you're vaccinated is close to 100%. There
0: you go. You lay out the facts, you don't mandate it, you let people make their own decisions. This is how this vaccine is performing. Take it if you wish. If not, the risk is on you. If you want to take it, that risk is on you, whatever you think that risk might be. But the bottom line is, here are the facts. You make the decision because you are an adult. Welcome back, Dan Andros, Managing Editor of Faithwire. Dan, this story in Canada is bizarre, and I feel like it's going to come across the border pretty soon.
3: Yeah, and um, for those who just aren't up to speed exactly on what's going on, basically what happened was there was a string of reports uh, that they were starting to, in Canada, look into these uh, church schools that uh, had a lot of indigenous uh, Americans, native, well, Canadians, uh, native Canadians up there, and uh, they have found these unmarked graves with children in them. So there was a series of headlines of this and what was going on there back in the 1800s, early 1900s. And so then after that, a week or so later, all of a sudden these churches start burning. And so now it's been at least 45 churches that have been either vandalized or just completely destroyed. Um, ironically, some of them are actually churches that belonged and were built by indigenous people themselves. Another one was from Vietnamese immigrants. So the targets there, you know, obviously not Canadians, and had anything to do with this uh, right. the atrocities that may have happened earlier. So uh, so this string of arsons are still unsolved. And um, that's kind of uh, what's going on. But now, Uh,
0: We're seeing similar calls here in the states. So are we to basically assume is is the belief basically that these reports of these schools and, and my understanding of it is the Canadian government did act really badly here, largely like they took they took Native American or Native Canadian kids. They brought them to these schools. They would die from, you know, who knows whether it was abuse or just some you know, accident or d- d- disease or whatever. And they basically wouldn't even tell the parents. They just bury them in the back and no one would ever hear from them again. So it does seem like that part of it is really bad, but it's also a pretty old story. Um, I mean, these schools didn't close down until I think the 90s in some ways, but uh, that sort of abuse it, it isn't believed to be that recent. And so is that where well, we basically to understand this spree of arsons as revenge some acting out against the this these stories coming out
3: that i mean that's the belief i mean that is a logical motive but of but the arsonists have not been caught yet so uh the most we've seen is a video where it shows uh what looks like a younger white apparently woman uh, in a hoodie going up and setting fire to one of the churches but uh, but they haven't been caught so we won't know for sure until whoever this is is caught i mean usually somebody setting fire to stuff is usually sick and twisted in some way anyway so who knows what their actual motive is but that's at least what the loose assumption is at this also, point. it's tough to catch
0: arson uh, as well i mean more cameras uh, are around now and it's a little bit easier but for a long time it was basically impossible to catch someone who lit a building on fire because you know by the t- you leave once you light it on fire so it's hard yeah. to f- find that person <laughs> right. uh, um, but i find this story to be really uh, interesting because it's the focus, to me, doesn't seem on the right part of the story. A lot of the focus goes to, oh, well, the churches had a hand in running these schools, therefore they're the bad guy here. And, and there may be some of that that's true, but there's another large group here that I can't, I can't help but notice is getting away with potentially murder here.
3: Yeah, I mean, you're, we're putting on these like modern goggles and then just making the church the only bad guy here, as if somehow in America's case now, because the, the timing is interesting as AP ran a report um, saying that, you know, quoting all these church leaders who were saying like, hey, we had a role in this, too, here in America. And so we want to, you know, repent of our sins and all the things we did And churches probably acted poorly, but they were not. Acting on their own, they were not acting in a vacuum. This was not a society back in the 1800s that loved uh, Native Americans and just didn't do anything wrong to them. We were shoving them. You know, the government was pushing them out into reservations, and uh, they got worried that they were running out of land. So then they said, "You know what? Uh, you know, we got to to You know, we're gonna have to kill the uh, the Indian to save the man." And the idea was, we're gonna assimilate them. We're gonna take their kids assimilate them make them americanized and then there won't be a such thing as indians anymore i mean it's horrible mm-hmm. but that was the government that pushed that idea and that and then they used these churches to you know they'd get these kids bring them in take them right out of their childhood and put them in these schools and so who knows? i mean i'm sure they weren't good either but at the same time the the narrative is the church was the bad guy here and they were doing this and so It's not the full picture.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that we have a story here where churches did at times do some bad things. Um, It was, of course, a government program. It was authorized by the government. Uh, And the government is a huge problem in Canada. Some of this also happened in the United States. And it just it almost seems like they're they're hoping this sort of movement and the associated potentially the associated violence and vandalism crosses the border and becomes the next thing. Right. Like we had George Floyd. We've had me, too. There's this constant list of grievances, some really real, some maybe not so real. Uh, and now they want to turn this one into an excuse to beat up on U.S. churches.
3: Yeah. Yeah, and I look, I i you know, there's no proof of this yet, but I mean, it certainly seems to fit the narrative that these radical leftists have when it, you know, they play the long game. And so they're death by a thousand paper cuts. They're more than happy to just push push these narratives. And, you know, we've all talked about the cultural Marxists and what their motives and their agenda were, which was to undermine uh, strongholds in American culture and the church being the first and foremost. So for those types, for the activists, anytime you can smear the church, it's a win for them. And so it's particularly notable to me when there's an instance where the government is just as bad, if not way more culpable in a situation than, than whatever the church may have done in this scenario. And yet they escape the wrath in the media. And so that makes my my suspicion radar go, you know, really on high alert. Yeah,
0: no doubt about it. Uh, Dan Andros, managing editor of Faithwire. Dan, if someone wants to get you canceled uh, for this interview, where can they find you on Twitter?
3: Uh, they can find me at StuDoesAmerica. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> at, at Dan Andros on the Twitters.
0: All right, Dan, thanks so much for coming on. <laughs> So a teenager is on a flight, and he's talking to his friend, wants to get an airsoft gun, a you know, toy gun, and decides to airdrop him a picture of that gun so he can see it. Unfortunately, he airdrops it to the entire plane. So then everyone starts seeing pictures of guns being sent to them by random passengers. Apparently, this leads to a deplaning because there was a threat. And I, we just... we. We really are stupid, aren't we? I mean, is there any ability to just kind of like, okay, this is what happened and this was the problem? Apparently not. Uh, By the way, no word on whether a Pop-Tart was bit into the shape of a gun and got anyone else kicked off of the next flight. But I think everyone got to their destination finally. Uh, before we leave, a couple of reviews from iTunes. We appreciate your five-star reviews. Uh, deducting stars. Love the show. The writers are great. But I'm going to have to start deducting stars. If Stu doesn't start stop slamming his uh, note cards on the desk. Yeah, I do that all the time. I'm sorry. Please, for the love of all that is holy, it's driving me crazy. Another one. Similar Similar message. Five stars, I guess. Whatever. Whatever. It's really good. Uh, Steve, that's me, uh, can't stop uh, slapping his desk, but he will never be as terrible as Andrew Cuomo is awful.com I need to come up with a solution for this because I do it all the time, and I'm sorry about it. I need like a, a, a pad that you can't see that when I hit the desk, it doesn't make noise. I'm working on it for you, podcast people. I'm working on it for you.